This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are back with another terrific episode. This week, a very unique presentation because our featured guest is a woman named Jackie Engel, or at least that was her name until the other night. It's now Jackie Glazer. And Jackie is someone I've known for a long time. This is another episode that was recorded live in Toledo, Spain, on the recent Olami Global Forum. Jackie was one of the main organizers of this global event, again, bringing together around 700 people in Spain for a leadership conference, students and young professionals from over 20 countries. Well, one of the really special things that happened on this conference was that Jackie got engaged. Her soon-to-be fiancé was flown into Spain and proposed in very dramatic fashion in the hills of Toledo, and then right after that, joined the broader conference where everyone was enjoying a concert by renowned Jewish music artist Yaakov Shweki in a very picturesque scene overlooking canyons of Toledo. And it was an incredibly beautiful way to celebrate an engagement and everyone was thrilled to celebrate with her right after the proposal she was called on the stage and given a special award and then special singing as well by Shweki and others who joined. Well, we conducted this interview the very next morning and you'll hear there's a joy and giddiness in the air that she was feeling and I was quite honestly feeling as well. Jackie is someone I've known for many years and worked with for many years and What's really exciting is that I'm releasing this episode now specifically because just the other night, for those listening again in real time here on June 17th, 2019, just the other night, this past Thursday night, she actually got married and this was only a few weeks after the engagement. They decided rather than have a lengthy engagement since they live on different sides of the country and uh, they were eager to just tie the knot and make it happen, they were able to pull together an absolutely beautiful wedding in a very, very short period of time, really a record-setting time, I believe. And it was a wedding I was privileged to attend, along with several hundred others who were just so happy to be there and celebrate this next chapter so shortly after the engagement. And they are now going to be married and moving to Los Angeles start their lives together. But in any event, Jackie is someone who has a really fascinating life story and also has done a tremendous amount for the cause of Jewish outreach and specifically focusing on empowering young people, students, and young professionals through her student leadership initiatives, which are groundbreaking within the broader world in which she operates. And we got the chance during this conversation to learn a lot about those initiatives as well as her own background and where she's going in her life. So I'm very excited to bring this specific interview to all of our listeners 
right now as she is in the midst of still celebrating her marriage. And again, whenever you're listening to this, you'll gain from it. But for those listening in real time, it's still literally in the afterglow of her wedding. And so I figured that was an appropriate time and a very meaningful time to release this episode. Once again, our usual reminder to please subscribe wherever you might be listening to the show and also to tell your friends and anyone you encounter about Jews You Should Know. You can follow us on Instagram at Jews You Should Know spelled out fully as well as on Facebook. Twitter is spelled Jews You Should Know with the letter U and please feel free to reach out to us by email anytime at JewsYouShouldKnow at gmail.com. And now without further ado, to the outskirts of Toledo, Spain, to our conversation with Olami Leadership Department Chair and fascinating woman, Jackie Engel Glazer. We are here with Jackie Engel, and uh, we're here on a very special day because just last night, Jackie got engaged in Toledo, Spain, Toledo, Spain, wherever we are. Uh, we're here on this Olami Global Leadership Forum, and her husband-to-be surprised her in Spain with the proposal. Pretty exciting, huh, Jackie? It definitely left me speechless, which is rare. <laughs> and so I think you were actually genuinely surprised. Is that correct? I had no idea, and the whole team was in on it. They all booked his tickets. They organized everything from a few weeks ago. They took his name off the guest list every time I looked at the guest list. <laughs> and uh, it was a complete shock. I, I literally was shaking and, and had no clue that he was in Spain. And then we had a great concert with Shweki and danced with uh, 700 of our closest friends. How many people get a live concert with a world-famous musical act on the night they get engaged? I, I, don't, I, don't, I still don't. I'm still not processing it. I'm still <laughs> not quite able to, uh, to put it all together. I just feel grateful and blessed. Say the night I got engaged, I hired uh, an acapella group to come and meet us, and they were dressed in street clothes, and they came in the, like That's sort cool. of incognito, and then they came and started singing. Oh, so I thought that was very romantic, but this tops that, that big time. <laughs> well, when Aaron Wilson gets involved, it's, yeah, you don't uh, mess with a billionaire, you, you know. You, uh, you don't get much choice other than to go big or go home. That's it. So Jackie, we're here in uh, we're here in Spain for this amazing conference, which you were so instrumental in inaugurating, but. I really want to dig back a little bit and understand where you're coming from, what your background was, and, and how you really arrived at a day like today in a place like Toledo, Spain. So, Jackie, where are you from? We'll hear the accent, I think. Tell us a little bit about your early upbringing. How far, how far back do you want to go? I mean, you know, in utero is probably a drop far, but you know, <laughs> maybe right after, like, you know, postpartum, let's start. <laughs> okay. I was born in Montreal, Canada. And uh, it's not a Montreal accent, Jackie. No, it wasn't. So it gets more interesting. My parents were um, moved there for my father. He was a doctor and he was uh, put on sabbatical at McGill University. He was a lung doctor and he went there for 10 years. And uh, they had my brother and I while we were in Canada. And then they went back to Australia, which is where they were originally both from. Were they from like the, your grandparents from the war? Like, how did they get to Australia? My mother's parents were Polish and came out before the war to Australia. And my father actually was a Holocaust survivor. Wow. And he's hidden basements and, and did all of that, just like Anne Frank. It's a similar story to Anne Frank. And his mother and him, he was a baby, um, you know, went on the run after one week. Her, her parents and siblings and husband were killed, my grandfather. And they went into hiding and changed identities. I mean, literally like a movie. I can't even imagine it. 
and he grew up in this kind of hiding experience of like not seeing sunlight for over a year or two and stuff like this and then they escaped eventually to Australia as far away as possible let's get as far away as possible from any danger so growing up the, the kangaroos was quite safe and, wow. and uh, protected you said your father was a baby did he have any memories of this period of his life I don't think so yeah. but it definitely goes in the experience yeah. of being like on the run for your life how could it not you know but uh, it probably explains why we had very little to do with Judaism my whole upbringing. So, like, I, I didn't even know when Yom Kippur was or what really? was or Rosh Hashanah. Nothing. Or nothing. Did we they did a semblance of a Passover Seder. So they identified as Jewish. Oh, yeah. Semblance of a Passover Seder. We'd have Hanukkah presents and Christmas presents. Um, and that's it. That, that literally is it. My brother had a bar mitzvah. And that's it. I didn't have a bas mitzvah. And we went to some sort of version of Sunday school for a while. So we obviously thought it was important enough to know something. But it was, like, tedious and we hated it and whatever. Um, and that was it until... You know, I, I, got, I, I got into psychology and I had a psychology career. I had a practice. I was really happy. Everything was going well. All my friends were not Jewish. So I wasn't even culturally Jewish. Where in Australia were you guys? Sydney. You were in Sydney, Sydney which is the less smaller, Jewish of Yeah, much smaller Jewish community. <clears throat> and um, we didn't go to Jewish schools or anything. So, so you know, at some point we had one, a nudgy relative. You know, everyone has at least one in the family that nudges you. About <laughs> I have more than one, but okay. okay. <laughs> So, I'm not naming names, though. Exactly. I, I can't name the names because we love her. But she kept saying, go to Israel, go to Israel, go to Israel. And we're like, why? We don't want to go to Israel. I want to go to Europe. I want to go traveling, you know, with my friends. Had you done any traveling at that point? Uh, yeah, but in college is where you really, Australians really travel, like okay. hard. And because we're so far away. So once you get out of the country, you really go hard and go for a long time. And so I was stubborn, like a Jew is, and I didn't give in. And I didn't go to Israel. And so she gave up on me. I went to pack packing with my friends, had a great time. Thank you very much. And my brother, who was younger, started um, becoming of age. And she said, go to Israel, go to Israel. He was weak. He gave in. <laughs> he went to Israel and loved it, had a great time on a, on a birthright type of thing. And, um, you know, he stayed on for two weeks and just learned a little bit about his Judaism afterwards and just was blown away by the wisdom, the relevance, everything, we, as we know, and, and started to look into it in a serious way. And I was like, I'm so happy for you. That's fantastic. But like I had no interest whatsoever. And he started slowly over the next two years becoming more kosher, more Shabbat observant. And at some point I freaked out. I mm. was like, oh my gosh, you go, okay, now you have to stop. You're going off the deep end. You're, you're like joined a cult or something. I, I don't know. Like I, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a psychologist. It's my right. obligation to counsel him out of this. You're a mandated so, reporter, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. I didn't know anything. It just looked like whatever was different from the norm of secular society or non-religious society, I thought was bad. And you were, what, 25 in this story? I was probably, yeah, 26, 27. Yeah. And didn't start looking into my own Judaism then at that point because I realized I really had to because my brother was going so far into it till about 28, 29, I showed up in Israel. Was he in Israel this whole time or did no, he come back? No, no, he went just for a year. He came back and went, then he went back. And then he was back there when I decided, okay, I've got to go to Israel. The Nuji relative was right and I have to go check it out. And I went to Israel and obviously saw the same depth and wisdom, especially related to psychology, actually. That's huh. what really blew me away is I had I learned so much about psychology and, you know, psychology's view on, you know, family systems and relationships and happiness and marriage. And then all of a sudden I'm learning the Torah view on those things. And it was just so interesting to compare and contrast. And I just found the Torah model or the Torah approach just so deep and it's so all-encompassing. It was just blew me away, actually. I felt, I felt like it was the best professional development I'd ever done. Did you find it uh, congruent with what you had learned or divergent? There was definite things that I've resonated with in the psychology world that I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually a Torah source. And I had no idea. Like, I just thought it was Freud. Oh, Freud was Jewish. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, you know, or, or I thought it was whatever it was. And then there's other things in, in the psychology world that I thought were, like, interesting, but I didn't resonate with it. And it, I wasn't necessarily 
you know, something that was sourced in Torah, but I found a lot of it sourced in Torah. Now, while, while this was all going on, was your brother also be, being Nuji or he was kind of keeping things to himself a little bit? You know, you have to find your way with family. And I think that you, you can't really help your immediate family connect to Judaism in the same way. It comes with all the dynamics of those relationships. So sure. he tried his best to <laughs> introduce me and then back away. Okay. Like, introduce me to people that he thought I might like and then say, okay, you choose whatever you want. Like this, this push and pull, you know, like yeah. of, of, of encouraging and being there. And I think it made it easier for me to go to Israel because he was there. It wasn't by myself. Right. But, um, you know, I went there and fell in love and realized, oh my gosh, I was on like national TV doing the Today Show. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what was going on in your career yeah, at the time. That's what was happening in my career. And here I was as, as you know, on national TV, they had a million viewers, a segment wow. for Australian. This is like a daily morning show? It, they had daily and I had a weekly segment or, bi- or bi-weekly. And we call it fortnightly. Fortnightly, yes, yes fortnightly, absolutely. <laughs> bi-weekly to me sounds like twice a week, to be honest. But anyway. That's semi-weekly. <laughs> right, I okay. Think. Um, so, so I was here on national TV saying things like, you know, the way to happiness is to embrace all of who you are, you know, thanks Oprah, uh, for those kind of quotes, you know, it's true, like embrace who you are, you can't reject who you are, embrace it and, and work with it. And here I was as a Jewish woman on national TV, having no clue what it meant to be, to be Jewish, like no clue what, what that meant. So I felt like a hypocrite. And at some point I was like, okay, I had that voice in my head. I had my brother already in Israel. There was a few different tensions. Right. And I felt like at some point, I, I'm really, if I'm really to be honest with myself, I have to check this out. Wow. So I went, I checked it out, blown, blown away and realized there's nothing more important to now find out about as a foundation than Judaism. And I developed all my other stuff. My career was peaking, like other things were good. But this is one core piece of me that I hadn't explored. So um, I decided to, to like literally go leave the Today Show. I was there already two years. Was that a very was that a grueling decision? It was scary, but it was really clear that I really? had to do it at some point. Like, meaning I went to Israel for two months and didn't quit. I right. went for two two months and then came back and realized I still had to go back. So at that point, the second right. time, I said okay. And then I had this deep. I don't know where I got it from, but I had this deep, deep knowing that if you do something for the right reason and the higher truth, then like to develop yourself in some way. I didn't really have the Jewish words for it you never lose out. So I felt like even though it was really scary leaving this, this peaking career, I could start a career somewhere else. Why, why do I think just because now it's the, I had luck that I'm going to, you know, like I could do a career anywhere. And, and to be honest, I really believe that there was a blessing that comes back to you when you choose something that's hard, that's higher. And I don't know where I got that from. Like I wish I had that now in every other area of my life. But I don't. <laughs> but um, I really, really had it, like an amuna or like some faith, some commitment, some knowing that this is the right thing and even though i did have my freak out moments right um you know it was always a, a deeper sense of right yeah and uh and then i went to israel and it was the best thing i ever did in my life i think sometimes we're blessed with certain sentiments or certain feelings at certain moments when mm. we need them you know and they're not always there for us to <laughs> to draw from they're there when we need them so right you know somehow it's, uh, I, I was able to access that yeah was being on TV, was that like a, a career aspiration you had had? Like, that's not a typical path for a psychologist, right? So how did that come about? Yeah, it was really strange. I mean, I, I had a background in performing. I was dancing for many years. Ah. So I had already this skill that I was harnessing and honing that I didn't really know. I was just a hobby. I loved it. But I just did it on the side, but like really seriously. And I had an agent, you know, when I was going through college. and did For dance? Work. Yeah. So did some professional wow. gigs. And, but that was just like side money while I was done dance therapy, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> I did never, I never joined the two, right. but, um, as I was doing my psychology, I, I did that for some, some, uh, money. So I had a practice and then private practice, private practice. And then at some point, you know, I, I got a call from a PR company. They wanted a psychologist on the show. 
and gone to Day Show to discuss the survey results of, I think it was dating and relationships or something. And I said, sure. So I went on and it was on the t- one of the things I had to do interviews was on the Today Show. And I remember walking in, talking about the power of intention. I remember walking into this Today Show and saying, boy, would I like to walk out of here with a, with a regular gig. Wow. You know, I hadn't thought of it really before. So they I, weren't bringing you in for that. It was just no, a one-off. It was a one-off thing for, wow. for this particular PR company. And I remember thinking like, you know, I don't know if I prayed at that point, but I definitely put out there, you know, which really is to God. Um, I'd love to walk out of here with a regular gig. And I left that day and they called me back all of a sudden. They said, come in tomorrow again. And now the other gig was finished, right? The other job was finished. And I was like, yeah, sure. They said, yeah, like every, our ratings went off the charts. Mm-hmm. And they said, people now have written in questions. So we'd like you to come back in and answer their questions on air. Fortnightly, come on in. No, the next day, actually. This was. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. Great. So I went back in and started, you know, just answering the questions. And then three days later, they asked me back in again in the same week, which was unheard of for a guest. Um, onto a panel of a panel about dating with the different people, and I didn't know, but they were they were trialing me, mm. and they were watching and trialing. And it's better not to know. I was much better <laughs> not to know because I was just having fun. This right. is cool. And then they got me in two weeks later and said, "Would you be a resident psychologist on the Today Show? That's we'll awesome. Pick you up in a limo and at five in the morning, and we'll ship you in." Is it the same franchise as Today Show in America? I think so because we copy you with everything, basically. Same like, logo and all that kind of stuff. And- I, uh, similar, very, yeah. very similar, similar format, like the resident doctor, the resident vet, the resident right. psychologist. Um, I don't know if they still do that now, but yeah, well, it was the same then. I don't know if they did that ever because I never watched it. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, more of a Good Morning America guy. Now, <laughs> neither, neither. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and it was great. But, you know, again, I felt like I was doing good things in the world, which I was, but deep down inside, at the same time, looking back, there was like a part of me that, that wasn't being accessed. There were part of me that wasn't being utilized or connected with. But I didn't feel that at the time because, like, you don't know what you don't know. But later, as I connected with Judaism, I could feel that it, it affected me in such a deep way that nothing had ever touched before, like psychology. or So I, I realized there's this piece that's just sitting there dormant and stagnant. Mm. And, like, no matter what you do with your career or other amazing things, it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill that piece. And that piece really later on, what I became clear was the soul. Would you say at that time you believed in God or what, what was no, your no, no, orientation? No, 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 I knew nothing. I knew nothing. Well, not no, but in just in, not religion, know. just I, general. I believe that we're here for a reason. Okay. I believe that nothing's random. I believe that um, like if I'm Jewish, it's, it's part of who I am and I should find out about it because it's something to do with my life purpose. I believe those kind of concepts. I believe that it was very likely there would be a bigger, it makes sense that there would be some sort of bigger force. I called it the universe. Right. I didn't know there was a creator of the universe, but... There, I said there is a bigger force. That, that I believed. So I started, my, my big breakthroughs really were starting to talk to God, but not calling it God because I didn't know, and saying, you know, talking. And saying, and I'm, that's how you develop a relationship, asking for clarity, asking for direction, and then things opening up very, very clearly. So, so this was all as you were starting to go to Israel and then and begin yeah, studying. Yeah, just that same time of like, should, should I explore my Judaism? You know? yeah. And God's like, yes! You know, in different forms. How did your parents react at, at this time? My father wasn't alive, okay. um, but I'm sure he's very happy now. And he, my mother, like they, they think, you know, you guys are the, you, my brother and I are the only two now observant people in the whole family, in the extended family. The extended family, yeah. So they, they thought, well, you guys are nuts. You guys are extreme. You're, you're crazy Orthodox Jews. And I was like, yeah, yeah, we're crazy Orthodox Jews. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you don't make people feel bad and like, I'm not judging you and I don't think you should have to do what I do. This is what I'm doing. And when, we, when, we, when that kind of dynamic played out, so then, then they felt safe and 
then they're like, you know, you guys are crazy extreme, but like, can you get the ketubah from Israel? For the- <laughs> you guys are crazy extreme, but can you put up the mezuzah for us? Right. And you guys are extreme, but what happens after you die? Right. And, you know, I remember like, these are real questions they asked us, you know, and then we became respected as like, I guess, the, the rabbi and the representative of the family. You became the resident uh, Jewish authority Jewish instead of, authority, instead of right. psychologist. And so we have great conversations now. And actually, it made us a little closer, to be honest. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. So over time, obviously, you did quite a bit of your own study in Jerusalem and you were you know, developing as, as a Jew. And I guess uh, your brother already had kind of forged yeah. that path a little bit. Was that a really powerful bonding point? And did he stand there, you know, saying, I told you so at the end, <laughs> wagging his finger? Or was, um, he, was he more gracious about it? <laughs> no, I think he felt really good. Yeah. That, like he introduced me, but he was more like, he knows that everyone has free will. Right. And there was a lot for me to kind of change in my life mm. if I wanted to follow this path. Slowly, but still. Yeah. So it, at any moment, someone could say, okay, enough for me. Or no, I don't want to. Or So he, um, it was really nice to share that with him. We would go for Shabbats together, and that was really cool. And mm. we, it brought us for sure closer. Obviously, maybe the the challenges or the impediments perhaps are different as a female versus what he encountered as a male. Was that part of your um, struggle at all? Try to understand the, the Jewish perspective or the observant perspective on gender roles and, and things like that. Or oh, yeah, I, I I fought tooth and nail like day and night with the rabbis for a long time. I would just like run after them and say, no, but what about this? What about that? How could you say that? How could you? And so like, I really, really like, I really enjoyed the intellectual debate. So I would chase after rabbis and, and like really argue with them, the poor rabbis. And um, they had just better answers than me that were much deeper, wiser, interesting, broader, more thorough, and, and, and things that I hadn't thought about before. Mm. So it was really coming from looking back, everything I felt strongly emotionally was often because I didn't have all of the information. I didn't have the bigger picture. And then when I learned more deeply about a concept, things shifted in, the, in how you see things. Were there any other particular blockages, things that you really struggled with, or things that, you know, that was the challenge for you and that you had to really understand better? Or Listen, I grew up as a beach baby on the <laughs> beach and, uh, you know, just running around. Australians, you know, it's beautiful weather. Yeah. They hardly wear any clothes most of the year. It's like, you know, so... Sign that, me up. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, like a beach culture right. there, especially in Sydney. And so to, to get this concept of like how to still enjoy nature and love nature and, and be out there and enjoy it, but still then have different values around how you portray yourself to the world as not just a physical being, but also a deeper spiritual being and how to bring that back into balance as a whole person, which I really resonated with that psychologically and spiritually as a concept. But then how do I match that with my Australian culture and world? Sure. Was a challenge because like, you know, and, and again, I think the answer is always just to go very slowly. Yeah. and not feel no radical moves no amputating as they call it jews don't amputate we just drift mm. you know just drift and if it feels like an amputation like i've got to give up something overnight then there's something wrong right do it. so that so i had a very good rabbi rabbi kellerman who, who guided me at that time in that way and was like so chill about it like yeah don't don't worry about all the kosher stuff just don't eat pork you know the first time i went back i went really okay i can do that right you know, or just just don't eat pork and don't mix your meat and milk and i'm like okay i can do that right like it wasn't, it was never, you know, it was never intense. I didn't know where it was going to end up. I didn't want to become religious ever. Never, 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 never. If you ask me, you want to become religious? No way. Are you kidding me? Those like extreme, narrow-minded, insular, like don't really get it. Like, no way. And, uh, you know, at some point I realized I was falling in love with Judaism. I said, oh my gosh, you're becoming religious. Like it freaked me out. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm following a, a path of Jewish spirituality. Like, you know, like there was like, I just, the terms are just all so the loaded. It's all yeah. the semantics. But I, what my experience was just so beautiful. 
and deep and real and you know and talk about being passionate about psychology so this was the whole system right so i was so passionate about now the whole system of like developing your psychology and your emotions and your mind and your soul and it was everything all together that came with this jewish jewish map that we have called the torah so did you know early on that you wanted to then redirect career-wise into nope. service of the Jewish community? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> or did you expect to go back and I was be in a best psychologist? I knew I had to be in learning for a while. Didn't know how long that would be. And after three months, six months, I loved it so much. Another six months, loved it so much. Another six months, and mm-hmm. I ended up staying in Israel learning. Had you saved up mon- enough money to yes, just kind of I support yourself? I saved up money, and then I could also started to actually work a little bit in Israel, uh, seeing clients. Did you have to get relicensed there, or how did that no, work? No, because in the Jewish world, you just call yourself a therapist, not a psychologist. Not a psychologist, and then yeah. they, If they trust you. So that was fine. But there was moments where, like, am I going to go back to psychology? Am I going to, you know, like you said, qualify in Israel and do it properly? What, what am I going to do? And I didn't know, but I just kept learning. I started working at Nevei Yerushalayim part-time as a, like, a madricha counselor. So I thought this is good anyway to learn the Jewish systems and what's going on and what it's like. And then at some point, I remember thinking, should I start preparing classes Mm. it was the weirdest thing because it was like this little voice inside just start preparing classes and i was like no one's offering me to teach (laughs) why do i think i I should teach like why i didn't want to be a teacher that wasn't in my dream you know not just start preparing classes it was like this voice in my head so it's like okay watch and i thought i asked my rabbi rabbi kelman and and i I thought he'd laugh at me and he said yeah i think you would probably start teaching i went really he goes yeah just go and buy you know like ethics of our fathers or something like psychologically related because it's my area and start, you know, developing a class. So I did. I went and bought a book. No job offer. No one was wanting me to teach. Why did I have the chutzpah to think that that was going to be something? I don't know. And I started preparing. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the next, literally the next week, literally is after I bought this book, Rabbi Lif from Neve said, oh, the teacher didn't show up. Can you just sub? I'm like, no, 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 no. I just bought the book. He goes, what book? I mean, obviously you spoke to Rabbi Kellerman. He's like, no. So it's like as soon as I stepped towards it, it a little there, bit, yeah. like all of a sudden, boom, the window opened and, and God threw me in. And I was like freaking out and I was totally unprepared. I said, what do I teach? He goes, I don't know. Just teach about your relationship with God or something. I went, oh my gosh, give me five minutes. Shut my eyes, prepared. Like, how do I do it? What are the three principles that would help you build your relationship with God? I don't know. And then I just had to talk from my heart to the, to the class. And they loved it. And I loved it because I couldn't hide by my notes. And then I realized I really like this and I'm, I'm comfortable in it. So I think all that dance training mm. and all the TV work. And everything that happened before was really practice for this. That's right. really what looks, it looks very clear in retrospect. And so I was there for it in a wave, teaching, ended up being on faculty there for a couple, two, three years. And then it all changed when I met Aaron Wolfson's right hand at a wedding. Right. So you, he mentioned the story and he called you up on the stage last night. Yeah. Um, tell us that story. You were still in Israel, I guess, at the time. And- I was in Israel, but I flew out for one of my best friend's weddings in L.A., Okay. And uh, it was a surprise. It was a total surprise for her. I guess it comes back to that's I know, not bite you down. Come I'm back a, to bless you. I'm a prankster. <laughs> right. Like and I got really pranked myself now. That's yeah. awesome. And uh, it's so funny because I said, I don't like surprises to him. You know, he was really going to do it on the, on the stage. That's what I said. He I said, and when, when the rabbit was giving the speech and about to call you up for this award, I said, this would be the perfect opportunity to do the proposal. The jumbotron, it's like, you know. Because he, he, knew, he knew I would freak out. He would freak out. And he was kind enough. Oh, was man, that would have been so much more entertaining for us. I Think know, about but, us. But I wouldn't have Why are you being so my, selfish? I, would, I wouldn't have enjoyed my own proposal. <laughs> it's not about you, it's about us. Come on, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, no, we had fun after that. Yeah. So I went to the LA as a surprise to visit my friend Kimber. And um, we did one of those crazy things where... We did a video in Israel with our friends, and then my other friend brought it to her, 
And in the video, at the end of the thing, I say, that's it, I'm so upset I can't be at Kimber's wedding, and I run off, off screen. And at that point in, the, in LA, she was watching the video with my other friend, and my other friend texts me under and says, now, I'd flown into LA. I was dressed in exactly the same clothes as I was. Oh, that's camera. great. And she said, now, and I ran off screen with Kimber like watching, and I ran into her apartment. Amazing. So it's like I ran off screen and into the apartment. She literally also had a heart attack, couldn't breathe, was shaking, and uh, jumping up and down. So I was there for that wedding, and Rabbi Butler was there because she he was very close to her also, and we met at a at a third meal or something, mm -hmm. and uh, and I started sharing ideas about like what I'm doing and what I'd love to do for the Jewish people, like like as in I had an idea of a program, and uh, he loved the idea of a program, and he went, "You want to do it?" I'm like, "I have no idea who I'm talking to." Like, right. I think I'm talking to a rabbi. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. He's like the right hand man of of one of the biggest philanthropists in the world, and uh, he goes, "You want to do it?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, he just nods. And then like a couple months later, I'm running a, a program. We got a couple hundred thousand dollars to sponsor this program. And I started running the first program, PERI, which standard for peer, stood for Peer Educator Research Internship. So that lasted for a good few years, you know, before we moved on to this leadership, bigger leadership vision. Well, wow. so what were your early experiences like getting involved in, in Jewish leadership and personally and as the Jewish, you know, as a program person, what was that experience like? Was it... Um, was it challenging? Was it surprising in any way? No idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. No idea. Again, it's the same idea that we've been talking about all week that you don't have to be ready. You don't have to be ready to do stuff, big stuff in the world. You have to put up your hand and say, I'm willing to try. And that's what I was doing. I was willing to try. I knew I had enough basic skills, but I drove them crazy. I would call Rabbi Butler and Rabbi Refson and these big people who were in management roles at this point, but I didn't know that. And I'd say, okay, how do I run a Shabbaton? Like, how do I how do I do like the simple logistics I would be calling these big people for, right? And they were patient and they answered me and they called me step by step. And I was capable, so I, I caught on, you know, right. but I had no idea what I was doing, none. I hadn't done whatever training you need to have for these things. Like it just, yeah, I just jumped in. I jumped in, I had an idea, I jumped in and I tried and, and really I felt I got enormous assistance, you know, from every level, from people and from God, and it was amazing. It's incredible, you know, sometimes when a person comes back to, to Judaism, you know, from a limited background, and they start investing and becoming more observant. And then they get behind the scenes into the, mm. you know, sort of the where the sausage is made, so to speak, and start working for the Jewish community. There can be at times, you know, disappointment, or you come in contact with the inevitable human failings that exist. Um, was that something that you encountered? And, and how did you deal with the petals coming off of the rose, perhaps at, at certain junctures? No, I think I, I avoided that because I was learning for such a long time before I got into it. And I think when that happens, it's often when someone's very quickly just gone, started to learn, started to become more observant, and then they, people see their, their, their strengths and their talents and they throw them in the deep end to do to work. But they haven't quite cooked yet in themselves. They're not, they haven't developed and processed themselves in the right way to be really integrated and grounded in themselves. So then that's where the conflict happens, whereas I feel I really was... I had, the, I had the gift of the time. So did, did you feel like you encountered those foibles when you were studying and then you saw sort of people's humanity or, or that you never even were bothered by it um, later on? I was bothered by it when I saw, you know, rabbis are human and they make mistakes and they're sometimes wrong and all of that kind of stuff versus the ideal image of Judaism. But at some point I realized when, I, when things go wrong or when things don't look right, it's really a reflection of those people as opposed to Judaism. And I was able, I think, successfully to separate the two, meaning I think that's what, that's what did it for me. I separated the fact that Judaism in its pure form, what it's meant to be in an ideal, 
is beautiful and incredible and I look up to it and it's, it's holy and lofty. And whenever I saw the breakdown of that in like a, with people, it's because on some level those people had flaws and all people have flaws. So I was able to separate the people from like, don't judge Judaism by the Jews, but you kind of have to judge Judaism by the Jews, but I would be able to separate Judaism from the Jews. I think that that really made a huge difference. Did, I tell that to my students now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's at a critical point. It's, it's critical. Uh, hard though, because at the end of the day, we're social beings and we model ourselves after people and people are preaching the fact that this will make you a better person. This will, you know, people aren't saying, well, this is an interesting abstract piece of wisdom. They're professing that this will make you a better person. And then when you see people that maybe aren't living, you know, walking the walk, that can be disappointing. Well, I see, I, I made sure that I surrounded myself with enough people who were. And even though I saw they weren't perfect, because no one's perfect, sure. I saw their weaknesses. Overall, they were pretty darn good compared to the average person walking around in society. So when you have en masse lots and lots of people who are at least trying, attempting to live a righteous life, moral life, spiritual life, al aligning with this thing, this map called Torah, and they're trying and the, the husband and wives' relationships are better and the kids are generally better and they really were. I saw many, many families that it was genuinely much better, higher quality than anything I saw. So I was like, I don't know if this Torah thing's true, but if this is what it produces overall, like I want that. And so when I think if we take away the idea of needing perfection and, and looking for the negative in something versus how much good there is, which is hard, um, then you can see things in more clear perspective. But um, I, I, I made sure it's so important who you surround yourself with. You know, there were a couple of people that mentors that I felt, you know, didn't give me the right advice or just weren't plugged in to people enough. They might have not known a lot of Torah. They weren't, didn't know how to apply it in a wise way. And so those people I drifted away from, you know, I found new mentors. Again, it was the people, not the Judaism that I threw out. And that's what, it, it really pains me the most when I see people throw out Judaism because they had a bad experience with the person. It's like, right. no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But, right. um, you know, sometimes people look for an excuse also. They right. want to just do that. But yeah, that's how I, fo that's how I coped. How did, your, how did your career evolve from that point? It's been quite a few years since then. You've done a lot of different projects, new projects. Of course, we're sitting here in Spain at, at one of those amazing projects. Um, what, what were some of the next steps? And did you kind of have a clear direction of where you wanted no. to go with things? At that point, I think you're living, once you start working for the Jewish people and you live in Israel, it's like you kind of live by a different set of rules. <laughs> Meaning like, you, you, I didn't know I was doing this program, Perry, and then all of a sudden, Ellie Horn, who's at Tzadik, uh, said, we need leaders, we need leaders, we need generals. We need leaders to like lead the Jewish people, young leaders. I want you to, you to do something. And I was like, so funny because I was actually the keynote speaker for the National Young Leaders Day all through Australia. They would fly me to every city and I'd have 13,000 people in a superdome and we would speak about leadership. So I actually had this background and passion in this. And then all of a sudden, again, what, what I thought was for that really was practice for this. And they said, run a leadership program. So again, no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue. It hasn't been done before. I can't look up other models in, Jew in the Jewish world so clearly. And we just started a little thing called JSL, Jewish Student Leaders. We ran one bus a year. It was like from leaders from all around the world who were not observant but growing and interested and passionate. And we looked at a combination of the Jewish foundational learning but also how to develop them as leaders to do something, to take responsibility and put your hand up and say, I'll try. And, and we did it. And we saw when you get the right people in the right role and you empower them and you inspire them, it was unbelievable what they could achieve. And when I saw it with enough people, to see, even if it wasn't the whole bus, it was enough people to see this model works. 
the model works if you get the right people and you have the right kind of inspiration and then you provide the right infrastructure, which we really kept learning each year. So I ran, that was in 2011, and I ran that model for about eight years, tweaking, refining, getting different people on board. Rabbi Shlomo Farhi came on board for about five years of it. And so we were a great team for many years about, you know, how to uh, develop this model of a blend between leadership, Judaism, doing something, doing a project when you go back to your community and having this on the trip. And it's now turned into a monster. I mean, it's like literally scaled to 600 people. I think Aaron Wilson had like an aha moment a few years ago when we had a big summit in Brazil and he saw all these leaders passionate, wanting to stand up and give over their ideas and what they want to do. And he was like, oh my gosh, the future is young leadership. And I was like, yes, someone gets it. And um, he decided, you know, to his credit to just change direction and invest very heavily and significantly in it. And hence why we're sitting here with 600 leaders from around the world, 21 countries in Toledo, Spain of all places, um, discussing how to help the Jewish people. What do you think young leaders can do that professionals can't? I think they understand the mindset and the headspace of their peers. I think they're more trustworthy and reliable and not as scary because they don't have an agenda, meaning they, you know, other Jews will trust them more. Um, I think that they have creative ideas that are more modern and, and you know, millennial, if you want to use that word, because they, they're in that world. And, and the professionals offer a generation or two even away from that. And they lose touch, you know, they lose touch. Um, and I think it also inspires them. It inspires the leaders to grow when they take on that responsibility. So it helps them also on a personal level. What are a couple of things that you've seen people execute and, you know, as leaders, what are, what are some of the really cool initiatives, projects, you know, undertakings? Yeah, we've just been giving out Power of One awards and team awards here, even this week, over from the last couple of years, the last year. And even just some of those are amazing. Like one, one young woman, Clara Gelwasser from Germany, she just like opened up three branches of Olami in Germany. And she not only opened them, but she trained young leaders how to run them. So there's now three branches running that a leader set up and, and organized you know and there's no staff is there staff coming in to help st- we have one staff member in germany who floats around between the branches but he can't run all the branches simultaneously yeah so he shows up once a week and does a class and does whatever but like she's she's the one that's like created the program um then we had like tikva odessa just did a film festival they made short films themselves the leaders of how the beauty of judaism and they put it on as four big film festival events in tikva in, in odessa in the organization tikva and over 100 people came to each event and then like 40 new people stayed involved weekly with this organization, all run by the students. The events were run, the videos were produced. By the way, they played them last night. I didn't understand a word of them. <laughs> now, I know other, now I know how the Russians feel yeah. when, when they're listening to the English so uh, language. That stuff. was amazing. And Oli from, you know, Oli Anisfel from, uh, from HUK created an online media channel called JTV, felt it was missing. He has now a quarter of a million views a month. Unbelievable. And we gave him nah, a $20,000 grant and he's amazing. So, like they're just all the same young leaders that were just in our organizations, you know, all these people. It's really, it's really incredible. You know, then we had Josh Snyder from Rutgers who just single-handedly got 22 people to do a 10-week learning course on Judaism, which is more than some rabbis can do, honestly. I mean, yeah. he really is doing more than some of our professionals. Um, and, you know, again, they, they, we should hire these people. That's my honest opinion. They're real leaders. They're passionate. They're driven. They're motivated. They believe in the cause. They're growing themselves. It's amazing. Is that a direction you think this will go? Yeah, I hope so. I, I think we're stu- we'd be stupid not to hire. Um, I mean, we've already hired. I hire. I hire students all the time. <laughs> but on a macro level, yeah. the strategy. I think we should do it. Yeah. Do you think that when they become professionals, do you think that will change the dynamic, or they can? 
preserve that those no, qualities? I think it's about age and it's about you know youthfulness of spirit more than anything else. You know, um, at some point maybe, but you got to stay grounded. You know, we always recommend they go to Israel to learn for a little bit to really get a foundation. It's very hard to get a foundation in Judaism without going to Israel ever to learn for a period of time. So we try and support them doing that. And I've got actually one one of my young employees who I hired is in Israel right now learning for eight weeks, you know, and then she's going to come back to the job. So we save the job for them. It's like, what, what, what company does that usually? Right. And, uh, yeah, so that we support their spiritual growth as much as anything. What are some of the challenges you've encountered in this, in this particular space, this part of the process um, with student leadership? Obviously, every, every initiative we attempt, as you said, there's been tweaking and so forth. What, what's difficult about it? And how are you addressing it? I think the most, most difficult thing is to find the young leaders, the right ones, their connectors. I think that's the hardest part. Once you have those, it's like it's so easy because they're, they're responsible, they're reliable, they're passionate, they're interested. And then you can just work with them because they're great. That's the hardest part. How do you find them? How do you weed them out? How do you, you know, help guide them? And how have you resolved that for yourself? I think the key is through other young leaders. So asking them to find, replace themselves would be the best way. Um, haven't we haven't like gone hardcore into it yet? But that's what I'm aiming to do now with these guys. Yeah, it's not not easy to to find the right well, ones. Well, we rely on the rabbis, so sometimes they do also know. They also do know, you know, and also not investing in the wrong people. Well, a lot of times, you somebody might look like the right person and have a certain outer panache and a point, you know, right. a polish to them, and yet not really willing to roll their sleeves up. Right. So you have to test the pilot and don't be scared yeah. to fire. That's the question. You know, hire and fire. It's more important that you can fire then hire, right. winning in a nice way. How do you navigate that, though, in terms of also having a personal relationship with students and also having a mentoring sort of relationship with a student and then at the same time sort of being a boss, being an employer I of sorts? I think it very action-based, task-based. This is what the job is. Can you do X, Y, and Z by this time? And then you have a very clear factual thing of like, well, if you haven't done it, so like we, uh, we talked about that and we wanted it done by this time and you're not able to do it, so maybe it's not the right fit for you without it feeling like a rejection. Right. Um, I think that's, that's good management to keep it goal-focused, task-focused. It's not about them. Be super warm. Don't cut off from them personally. You know, but that's a challenge. What do you think still needs to happen? What, do you, what, do you, <clears throat> what haven't you done yet? You probably feel you're just starting. Yeah, but we just started. Where, where, where do you want to go with all this? Obviously, you said hiring students, the best ones. Yeah, I think we need a tiered, a tiered strategy of, of, of like a, a pathway of leadership, or we, as we call them, layers of leadership. <laughs> LOL. LOL. Um, so like layers of leadership, like what do you do after this? What, what is the next step? And, um, and then eventually the top of that would be hiring someone. Right. When, someone's, when there's one of the stars shine out and you see that they're a superstar so you can hire them. Are there other programs you think that need to be implemented to support this whole infrastructure? Yeah, I think now there needs to be like a higher tier learning, like a JLF, turned into JLF. So we can have a, a smaller, more elite, like the gold leaders who get to this gold status. We have these two statuses. And so those that get to the higher status can be invited onto a higher you know, leadership program. Maybe they get more responsibility. We pay them something. I don't know. We, we have to look at it. Not pay them something. Pay them like as a job if they really want to work for the Jewish people. Right. It's an evolving, uh, it's an evolving enterprise, which is exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's exciting. Where do you see your, your own personal role? And uh, now that your own life is evolving, how do you see your own uh, role continuing to develop and, and change? Oh, can I get back to you on that? Like a year? <laughs> we'll do that in about a year, yeah. About a year, I'll know. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's like another unknown adventure journey. Right. That like is really exciting. So maybe I have to pull back a little bit from it, from work to focus right. on that part of my life. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. It involves moving to LA. Wow. 
That, so, things could be worse, you know. Things could be worse because like, it's LA is the same weather as Sydney. Similar weather, same, right? Same, yeah. The question is, which which has better beaches? For sure, Sydney. Sydney has better beaches. 100%. Now, is it also really cold water in in Australia? Because no. in LA, no. the water is very cold. No. I don't like it. No, it's what's nice. I prefer in the Miami. Summer, it's just it's cool, but it's nice. And your fiance has a, a background in Jewish outreach as well. And yeah, we both Jewish communal work. Crazy. We both worked at the same center and. We also became both observant at 29 years old. Wow. And we both lived in Israel for about seven, eight years. I mean, like, there's just like all these mirrors and parallels. And of course, his brother's been on the podcast, Yom Tov Glazer. His brother's been on the podcast. So that's obviously probably what really cemented things, I would imagine. And I, when I first showed up in Israel, I spent a lot of time in the house and got very close to his wife. And I was really? in the house a lot about 12 years ago. Really? And so they were like freaking out also. Because, that's awesome. Yeah. How do we, well, I wasn't in touch with them the last six, eight years because I was here. I mean, here being not Spain Toledo. <laughs> Um, and uh, they re- everyone's really happy. Yeah, it's really crazy, the connections. Well, it's another, another act of God. It's crazy, and it's great to be here in Toledo, but also uh, to watch how this entire process has been unfolding, in, both in your life and in, in the organization at large. And, uh, and I can say that the organization, and certainly the Jewish people more broadly, are lucky to have your, uh, your amazing investment. So we're, uh, we're very grateful and certainly pleased and honored that you joined us on the program thank so thank you so much oh, thank you I very feel much blessed and privileged it's uh, it's been an amazing journey thank you jackie thanks this has been ari koretsky on jews you should know please visit us at jewsyoushouldknow.com and subscribe at itunes stitcher or wherever you consume podcasts find us on social media at jews you should know If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Jews You Should Know. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews You Should Know.